0: Hey everybody, on this episode of Unbeatable, I interview Taylor Ferns. She is an extremely accomplished race car driver. And because I just said she, you already figured out that she is a woman in an almost entirely male-dominated industry. Well, let me tell you, there's a moment during this broadcast where Taylor has already been extremely successful. She's been a champion. She's been on the podium with many wins under her belt. And she's got a new crew and in a new car. And she's trying to tell them there's something wrong with the car. But nobody wants to listen to her because she's still one of only a few women in this industry. In fact, they think it's the driver and not the car, because how would a woman know if there's something wrong with the car? Well, Taylor describes this moment, and more importantly, she describes how she handled that, how she got over it, and how she found the confidence to get back behind the wheel and start winning again right away. So check out Taylor Ferns in this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Thank you so much for being with me on this episode of Unbeatable. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm good. I hope your holiday season is going well. Um, Everything all right with you and your family?
1: Yeah, just getting uh, the holidays underway. I know uh, Black Friday's coming up, Thanksgiving. There's a lot to be thankful for this yeah. upcoming year, and especially um, for all of the opportunities that I've had this past year and just preparing for next year, next race season.
0: Yeah. When does race season actually start for you?
1: So in theory, it really never ends. Yeah, um, of course. I'm ra- I'm racing a little bit during the off season down here. I'm in Florida right now. I'm from Michigan. Uh, but I raced in Florida this past weekend and I'll be racing down here a few times during the off season. Yeah. Um, as well as I'll be racing, there's an indoor race in January for, it's like one of the biggest open wheel races of the year in Tulsa, Oklahoma in January. So preparing for that, but, um, really my main season in the Midwest doesn't start up again until April. Okay. So just kind of handling the logistics and a lot of like the off track business operational stuff uh, throughout that downtime.
0: Okay, so I just want to point out to everybody who's listening, they all know a friend or a family member who takes off for the winter and heads to Florida because it's super cold up in Michigan. And when Michiganders go to Florida and snowbird is what we call it in Florida, usually they're down there just trying to get away from the winter weather. But you have a legit reason for being in Florida in the winter, right? So that you can still continue to train, still continue to race, even in the off season.
1: Yes, correct. So I've actually been coming down here. My family has been fortunate enough. We've kind of had like a winter residence since I was three years old. Right. So I feel like I basically grew up down here. I'm really familiar with our area in the Bonita yeah. Springs, Naples area, but um, I've been fortunate enough after this, this success that I've had the past few race seasons to get a ride to race for somebody right. else down here. So um, when I come down here, um, normally I'm racing or spending time with my family, but I do fly back and forth to Detroit between Fort Myers and Detroit a lot because I'm in law school. So that kind of, (laughs) yeah. so that constrains my time a little bit. Um, So I have to go and I have to be in class. My yeah. law classes are not offered online, unfortunately, um, but it is a privilege to be in law school. So um, take that with a grain of salt, if you will. So that's why I fly back and forth a lot. So my sky miles are pretty much through the roof. I
0: bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say, like, you're down there for legitimate reasons, but it's also kind of nice when it's below freezing up in Michigan to be hanging out down in Florida in shorts and a t shirt, right? It, it, that is a, kind of an added ber- perk, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I flew out on this past Friday morning, like as soon as like right before they were supposed to get a big flood of snow. So <laughs> uh, made it down here just in time.
0: OK, so I got to know about law school. You're, we're going to get into your career, your very successful career in motorsports and kind of how you're helping to break the glass ceiling for women in this male dominated industry. We're gonna spend a lot of time in this episode talking about that together, Taylor. But I gotta know, you You enrolled in law school just so that you could sue people who run into you on the racetrack, right? Like you crashed into me, now I'm gonna sue you. Is what's the, what's the purpose behind law school? Like what motivated you to start law school at this point in, in your motor racing career?
1: Yeah, so actually from growing up, law school or even going to college, just to be frank, was never on my radar uh, because I always, like growing up, like racing was my ambition. I was going to be a professional race car driver my entire, for the most part of my career, right? Um, But my parents were really focused on both my siblings and I making sure that we attain an education, so on and so forth. Um, And so when I went off my second year in uh, university at Grand Valley State University Mm -hmm. in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I literally fell in love with my business law class To where the irony of this is the first two weeks, my professor was like, okay, Michigan State and Grand Valley offers this three and three program where you spend three years at Grand Valley, you basically give up your uh, senior year at university and then spend it as a freshman at MSU law. And I was like, Oh, like joke on him. Like, there's no way like I would be interested in that. Two weeks later, I was in his office talking to him about it. (laughs) And I just became obsessed with getting into law school. And so um, after I graduated from undergrad, I got a job with the San Bernstein law firm um, to where I started as an intern. And then a week later, they promoted me to be the operations director, um, which was like, right. A big role for a 22 year old really never had like a real job, air quotes. Um, And so I've been working there ever since. And while I was doing the operations role, I attained my master's um, in business administration. And then I was also studying for the LSAT, racing, working full time, applying to law school. And then eventually um, I'm in law school now. I'm in my third year. So, um hoping to be done December of next year, but we'll okay. see.
0: Everybody wants to know, how, you have a successful career as a in motorsports as a race car driver. Everybody wants to know right now, how on earth are you doing both of these things at the same time? How do you juggle law school, especially when it's not online and you got to actually travel halfway across the country to be in classes and motorsports? How do you how are you pulling that off, Taylor?
1: Yeah. So so there's some days I wake up and I even think to myself, I don't know how I'm doing this. A lot of my, my friends and family all say the same thing to me when I lay out all that I'm doing, um, because I do work right now. I moved down to part-time at my law firm so I could go full-time in law school. Um, and then basically my racing the past year and a half has really just tumbleweed into a full time and a half career, if you will. Yeah. Um, cause I do a lot of professional speaking engagements. So I travel for that. I do a lot of networking events with the women in motorsports North America group that I am in. Um, cause I am one of the founding members and heavily right. involved in that, but, um, yeah. And then doing a lot of sponsorship engagement, uh, so on and so forth. So I really feel like it's just being become I've become like a master of overlapping the things that I can um I spend a lot of time sleeping at airports or sleeping on airplanes
2: <laughs> okay. um
1: studying for my law classes while I'm on the plane um and then my work fortunately enough I am remote for the most part doing yeah. that so it's really just the master of overlapping I would say
0: I just got this mental image of you sleeping in an airport at the gate waiting for the plane to fly up with your uh, law textbook under your head, hoping to absorb a little bit of it by osmosis because you're so busy with so many things going on in your world right now. Wow, it's, that's quite impressive. How close are you, by the way, to finishing law school?
1: Yeah, so I just started my third year, um, but I've been going part-time for the most part with the exception of like this past semester. And then going forward, I plan to be full-time. So I'm hoping to be done December of 2023, if not uh, graduating May of 2024. We're over halfway, over so halfway.
0: So when it's time to launch your very successful law practice, you know, you have all of the people that are listening to you right now that are going to start, uh, you know, becoming your your first clients.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, I look forward to that.
0: <laughs> hey, you, you talked about your family just briefly a few minutes ago. Describe a little bit about your family and, you know, growing up for us just so that we get a chance to know you as a woman.
1: Yeah. So, um, growing up, I come from a racing family. Um, my, yeah, my maternal uncles, um, both race late models and the ARCA racing series, which is just below NASCAR. Um, they raced before I was born. So like in the mid to late eighties, early nineties, um, So I grew up basically in our family. We celebrated the Daytona 500s like uh, it was like a family
0: holiday, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was like how a conventional American family would celebrate the Super Bowl, if you will.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: And so I started racing when I was six, and I have two younger siblings, and so they both started racing when they turned five as well. And so it kind of just what started off as a family hobby just quickly spiraled into like, we were doing it full time. We'd spend our summers in our motor traveling for racing. So um, my family is really supportive. Um, they um, probably, they are my biggest supporters. They're part of my team, my crew. Yeah. Um, and so they have a heavy involvement in what I'm doing on and off the track. Um, but yeah, my, my mom and my dad are both entrepreneurs. Um, they own their own transportation businesses. Um, And then my two younger siblings, my sister's finishing up her master's. She lives in Chicago, um, and works for an investment company there. And then my brother's finishing up his senior year at Lord's university in Ohio. So yeah, very, I would say educated, my siblings and I are rather educated. And I feel like my parents for the most part have been really successful with their business endeavors.
0: So has mom and dad been transporting your cars back and forth since they have the industry? You know they're in the industry anyway, and you got to get a car to the next race.
1: So my dad claims that the really he tries to limit his involvement to just driving the cars to okay. and from the track. All right, he says he's just the truck driver. <laughs> So I just got this
0: um, mental image of you as a, you know, 10, 12 year old preteen girl asking mom or dad for a brand new set of engine heads for Christmas because you're already by this point in racing has been in your blood for years at this point. Um, Taylor, tell everybody, this is just a way of getting to know you a little bit better. And I'll try to do the same for you. Tell everybody one of your favorite Christmas memories growing up. It can be from a year ago or 20 years ago. What is one of your favorite Christmas memories and why is that one of your favorites?
1: Um, So I think one of them that stands out was when my sister and I, I believe we were three and four years old. We're only 18 months apart. So we're really close in age. Okay. And this might've been like what started off like the need for speed between the both of us. Um, we came down Christmas morning, one year, we came down the steps to two of like those hot wheel battery operated motorcycles
2: oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: and my sister and I, we started driving them around our house. And, um, so, I mean, at the time, like that was a huge novelty for us, but I think that's uh-huh. kind of like when it fully engaged that we wanted to, we wanted something faster. Um, but aside from that, um, after I started racing and my siblings started racing. My family and I used to spend our Christmases in Florida. There used to always be like big quarter midget races in New Smyrna. um, And like what they would call the winter nationals. Mm -hmm. And so um, kind of what started with that, those little Hot Wheels motorcycles kind of was kind of like a preface for how we would spend our Christmases a few years later. Right. So
0: um,
1: I think those are two that kind of stick out the most.
0: I was going to say you and your sister are racing those hot wheels around the house, crashing into stuff in the kitchen, which is, is of course, the perfect, you know, training ground for you to be on the, the, <laughs> the track one day behind the wheel.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I definitely don't think my parents knew what they were getting us into, but uh, I think that kind of what was what kickstarted it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I had some pretty good memories as a child, too, um, on Christmas. Mine weren't really so much about the gifts. I had a chance, you know, to be around some extended friends and family. I don't come or I come from the upper Midwest and not far from your part of the country, too. But uh, Taylor, I moved around a lot. So I'd live a long ways away from my family. And one of the things I really looked forward to at Christmas time was traveling many states just to go spend a couple of days with the whole big family together, do something together and then get back in the car and spend two more days or a day and a half, you know, driving back home. But man, I remember those days of, of being in the backseat and just looking forward to the big family getting together around Christmas time. That was what made Christmas really cool for me when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, for sure. And my immediate family and I, like we always for the most like, well, we are always basically together on Christmas. Um, but obviously, like growing up, we used to spend um, a lot of time with like, either my mom's side or my dad's side celebrating. Yeah. But if we were off racing, Um, it was normally always my mom, dad, my brother, sister, and I, so we always, it obviously, obviously it's important to spend that time of year with the family that you can. And so just grateful for all those experiences that we've been able to have over the years, whether we were at the racetrack or whether we were celebrating at our home in Michigan or in Florida.
0: Well, so you said your sister and brother also got into racing and I'm guessing because they're younger, they got into it after you, but are they still racing?
1: Um, no, they're not racing anymore. Um, it kind of became when I turned, when I, when I was around 12 years old, I started going off into a uh, pers- like going up the ladder, if you will, what yeah, they call it yeah. into faster, more competitive cars. Um, and at that point, my sister was like 10 or 11 and she started getting into travel softball, travel volleyball, okay. and she started missing races a lot. Um, And then it just came down to, I mean, racing, like to be blunt, like it's not a cheap sport or hobby to be involved in. And so my dad just kind of like sat her down and said, okay, Meg, like, do you want to play sports or do you want to go and race? And so she chose to go the travel softball, travel volleyball route. And then with my brother, he loved racing the car that he was racing at the time, which they call the junior sprint. Uh Um, And when my siblings would go and watch me race in the higher, more competitive levels, my brother just thought I was so crazy for how fast we were going. (laughs) Because
0: of how crazy you were going around the track, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so my dad was like, okay, I don't think Jimmy's going to want to go anything above his junior sprint. So. Um, he's really had, like I said, my siblings, like they're not uh, like drivers anymore, but they're uh-huh. still heavily involved in supporting me at the racetrack. And so I probably, I still wouldn't be able to race right now if it wasn't for their support. Yeah. So
0: well, that, that's cool of having your whole family kind of in your crew for lack of a better term, uh, while you're still racing, obviously it got into your blood because you could have just moved on to something else like your sister and brother did. But you didn't. You stuck with it. What do you think was it about racing that made you want to stick with it? And be honestly, you wouldn't be as successful as you are today if you didn't stick with it. But something was something about the about motorsports caused you to say, I, "I really like this, and I want to do this for a long time."
1: Yeah. So really, my passion for racing—it's I love everything, the culmination of everything about motorsports, as far as like the speed, the competitiveness. Um, really I feel like motorsports is just as like mental it's just as much of like a mental right. sport as it is mm-hmm. a physical sport. Um, and really it's meeting like the threshold of how far you're willing to push yourself yeah. to make to get the maximum out of the race car. Um, but I also love all the side things that come with it, like the business end of it, the mechanics, like what it takes to make the car go faster, um, all the travel and um, like with the dirt racing that I do also, um, like on, with motorsports, you can race on pavement surfaces or yeah. dirt surfaces. And so with the dirt racing, like there's a lot more that kind of goes into that as far as after a race, like we'd be up until three, four in the morning, like at a local car wash, hosing the cars oh, down, yeah. and disassembling everything. And I just love like the life around it. But as, aside from like the speed and the competitive nature, but um yeah I'm just a racing junkie and Uh um I did take a few years away from motorsports um because my family wanted me to focus on my education but um I kind of joke and say you can take the girl away from the racetrack but you can't take the racer out of the girl and so um when I came back a few years ago after taking that kind of educational hiatus, if you will, like I'm just as obsessed with it now as I was before.
0: (laughs) Well, I so you've been doing this for almost 20 years now. Is that right?
1: Yeah, 20 years, it'll be 21 years next year. So
0: Okay, so I'm a guy who grew up watching um, drag racing, the National Hot Rod Association. And I, I remember very vividly About the time that you started racing as a young girl, a couple of women started to get behind the wheel of the fastest cars on earth. And Mm -hmm. it shocked the world to see ladies behind the wheel of what has not only been a male dominated, but an exclusively male industry. My guess is that the listeners who are familiar with motorsports, you've seen a couple of women now who have started to become really popular, if not successful in motorsports mm-hmm. but 20 years ago it was unheard of right like no wimp woman was doing well in any kind of motorsports when you're behind the wheel so can you describe a little bit about what that was like in the early days when you when you started to get serious and everybody's like yeah but you're a girl and girls are not supposed to get serious about this so how, how did you navigate through that
1: yeah. So obviously when I first started racing as like a five, six year old kid, you don't realize kind of I get the stigma as much around right, it. Right. And I became more aware of that as I basically progressed in age um, and also kind of like being high. I took like a gender economics class when I was in college mm-hmm. and I wasn't even it wasn't until like maybe I was like 18, 19, 20 to where I really realized the stigma around it and became more aware of it. But, um, like there was once a time in motorsports where females weren't even allowed into the paddock area. Yeah,
2: yeah, um, I remember. and it,
1: and it wasn't until like the Janet Guthrie or Lynn St. James era, who Lynn St. James has been a mentor of mine since I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fortunate enough to have had her support throughout a large part of my motorsports career. Um, I've known her for over half my life now. So I think that's pretty cool to have be, uh, acquainted with a trailblazer for yeah. females in motorsports, but, Um, even still like to this day, it's rare. Like if I go to the racetrack, I'll be one of the only girls within my division or even just at the track racing in general. Um, and so we're still hearing of like a lot of first female, first female, and that's like what you'll see on my credentials. Like you'll see a lot of that, like first female to win this race or to podium in this series and so on and so forth. And so it's still kind of a commodity right now because we haven't. There hasn't like it's more of like a proportionality, like right, a, right. a numbers game, right? Um, because yeah, like Danica was uh, successful and like won her indie car mm-hmm. race.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and like the people be like Sarah Fisher and then obviously the Janica Guthrie's and Lynn St. James, but there still hasn't been a major breakthrough, at least for circle track racing for females and motorsports. And so I think we're getting close but there's still that stigma and still that glass yeah. ceiling that uh, needs to be broken and to where society just doesn't see females in racing as just like a marketing gimmick.
0: Yeah. Well, Taylor, I've had women on this program that kind of paved the way in the um, sports journalism industry, women who paved the way in the military and all of them share the same common experiences. Like being a woman in a male dominated industry is really, really tough Because Mm -hmm. you have to prove every day what other guys take for granted, you have to work hard to earn as a woman in a male-dominated industry. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking back to some of those early days where you started to get serious and you started to get good and you really enjoyed it. And that's when people started saying, yeah, but you're not supposed to get serious about this. It's okay if you just play with it, but you're not supposed to get really good and you're definitely not supposed to win. So what mm-hmm. was it like back in some of those early days where you were getting serious and people around you were trying to shut you down a little bit?
1: Yeah, so it was tough. Um and I'm not one to like play like the victim role or really I like didn't really start talking about my being a female in motorsports until recently and kind of being more vocal about it.
2: Really? Yeah.
1: Um yeah, because I always felt like I'm just now starting to verbalize like what I felt like as a teenager going through motorsports. And so I always felt like every time I was on the track, like there was so much pressure on me. Like there was a huge weight on my shoulders right. because yeah. if I had one bad performance and someone was like, Oh yeah, it's some, you need to go watch this Taylor Ferns girl, she's really good yeah. because I am competitive. I was competitive then I'm still competitive now and people I are like blown away by that. I still, to this day, I feel like get a lot of flack to where like my male teammates wouldn't get pointed out for the things that they do, but I am, because I feel like it's because I don't want to relate it to my gender, but I think it's, I mean, I would think that's why, but, um, I always just felt like I needed to always perform. I mean, everyone feels like they always need to perform at the top of the game. Right. But there was that added amount of pressure to where someone was like, oh, you need to go watch this Taylor Ferns girl. She's really good. So on and so forth. And then if I had one bad performance and someone came to just watch me or they were there at the race, coincidentally, they would be like, Oh, she's terrible. Like that Taylor friends girl, she sucks. And then it kind of just you, I just always had that, like in the back of my mind, as far as like my mentality, as far as like, I always need to be on my a game. Yeah. But with motorsports, there's so many variables that go into it. Like you could have an engine failure. Like you may just have an off night, but as far as like, if you were a male, like no one's really going to point out like, Oh, like he had a bad night. Like he's no one's going to go around and say the stuff that they would say vice versa um, that I feel like they would say about me. But um, I mean, it was tough, but I just feel like that's what made me into the person that I am now. And at the end of the day, like I know how competitive I am. Like I Uh know my mentality, my mindset, I always tell myself like everything happens for a reason. And my big thing as of late, is I say, Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. (laughs) So I feel like at the end of the day, like people can go around and say what they want, but ignorance is bliss because I'm still going out there and uh, being competitive. And I feel like I'm more competitive than a lot of the males on the track. So they're, they're just threatened by that.
0: Well, I want to just point out to the listener who's, who's um, hearing from Taylor. Imagine that you have this industry you're in and everybody has bad days. And because of your industry, lots of variables, weather, equipment, all of those things can go wrong, but Mm -hmm. your bad days are always a reflection on you because you're a woman where the guys around you, when they have a bad day, the variables that cause the bad day all come up to the surface. Like imagine the pressure of never being able to have a bad day because people are automatically going to assume it has to do with your gender and imagine living in that world under that kind of pressure for years which is what you're describing taylor
1: Yeah. So, um, like I said, I always just felt like I had that weight on my shoulders. And so over time, like, as I became introduced to like my gender economics class, and then recognizing the proportionalities, like I used to pull up in pictures, like I wrote thesis papers on this in law school and in graduate school. And when you realize like I was the only female in this group of like 30 to 40 males at the track, um, I think that just is like evidence of kind of like maybe what I was feeling at the time, as far yeah. as like the pressure that was on me. But over time, like as you first like recognize that pressure and then like voice, like are, are able to articulate it, I almost feel like it starts to like come off, like the pressure starts to come off in ways because yeah. you're more, you're recognizing it. And right. so now I feel like as long as I'm doing everything that I can within my power um, and everything that's like obviously within my control, like that's all I can do. Like at the end of the day, people are going to say what they want and think what they want, but I know how hard I work. Like I know what my talent and my ability level is. And I mean, I'm still actually encountering a lot of this, like to this day, like if I am driving a car, that's like, maybe not up to par, like to where as like good as some of the other, uh, some of my other competitors cars are, I know that I'm getting the maximum that I can out of the car, but the car is not capable of doing that. But other people may think otherwise. But uh, at the end of the day, that's why I just go back to ignorance is bliss.
0: Well, I would just want to do you're already kind of answering this next question. But I wanted you to just describe for people, how do you deal with that relentless day in and day out pressure to perform, not just to win, but because people are going to assume it's your gender, if something goes wrong, like, how do you handle that? over time, because that kind of pressure after, you know, months or years, it can be overwhelming for most people, it, it, it'll, it'll ruin most people's uh, careers. So how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, so mentally, I mean, it, it is overwhelming, um, especially with all the other stuff that I have going on in my life, I just try not to let it to consume me mentally. Um, so really just putting my focus, focus on my other endeavors as well. Um, because at the end of the day, like I know all of the circumstances that I've gone through throughout my career and the adversity that I've had to overcome, um, has made me so mentally strong, um, and has been part of my development. So I just try to like refocus my energy and I'm, I try to remain, maintain like a very positive attitude, um, as far as like, maybe I'll turn to scripture, um, and, uh, positive, um, messaging, if you will, I'm really into like positive quotes. For... <laughs> and so I try to share that on my social media channels yeah. um, as well, but um, just focus my energy into the positivity at the end of the day um, and my work off the track and to get garnishing sponsors so I can stay on track um, and just putting my focus on my law school endeavors or my work Um, because I know at the end of the day, like my mindset is like, what is going to allow me to succeed in life, not only on the track, but in life. Um, and so I just think that's the power of overcoming all the adversity that I have.
0: Well, that's why this podcast exists. What you just said right there is exactly why we started doing this. And you're giving people now a glimpse at the relentless industry you're in, because you just talked about the off season And when you're in the middle of the race season, you got to win or else you're not going to be able to keep raising sponsors. But you also have to conduct yourself in the off season in such a way that sponsors want to put their logo on your car and want to help you have the car and the equipment that can win which means you never really get to have a bad day, right? You never get a chance to let your hair down and not have to worry about what somebody's going to think in this, in the motorsport industry.
1: Mm -hmm. And really like your off track performance, I say is just as important as your on track performance, if you will. I mean, at the end of the day, especially being a female in motorsports, I think society's like over the marketing gimmicks of, um, promoting females yeah. within the industry right. to higher levels. And they just aren't having the results that really are needed to break the ceiling, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so at the, you need to perform on the track sure, and that will only help off the track get sponsors, but all the networking that I do off the track with my women in motorsports North America are doing my speaking engagements and meeting the people on the panels there and just staying in contact and networking with them or a lot of the um, networking opportunities mm-hmm. that I go to, like that is really important stuff because people hear me speak and people see all the other stuff that I'm involved in. And then that makes them wanna get involved with my racing. Right. Yeah, And so um, like, I feel like over time, like the business person that I am and having that off track success that I have with my education and within the business role that I have at my law firm, um has really only allowed me to pursue my passion even more in racing uh because I've developed all these characteristics and these talents that I wouldn't have otherwise yeah. And so um, it becomes almost a matter of selling yourself, but I still have to back that up on the track. Right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Which
1: I, fe- I feel like I have. So I'm trying to like manifest it.
0: <laughs> yeah, You have backed it up. And I was just about to say, listen, not only is motorsports male dominated, but let's just be honest. It's one thing to be a woman in a male dominated industry. It's a whole nother thing to start winning. And i've got your list of accomplishments in front of me you really have backed up just how talented you are as a driver and i want you to tell everybody some of that success that you had and some of the uh championships or some of the big races that you've won and how you you've been the first or one of the first women to ever reach those levels but i as the listener hears you i want them to understand This industry, it's one thing to be a woman competing as long as you don't win. But when you win, it's even worse for you because now people hate you just because you won and you're a woman. It's not that you beat them. It's that you're a woman and that you beat them. It makes it twice as hard for you. So you have backed it up. Tell everybody a little bit about your accomplishments on the track.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I say I've been racing or winning races at a highly competitive level since I was 14. I mean, I won races in the lower divisions, like in my quarter midgets and yeah. my bandoleros and my 600s, but you, you, I didn't start getting into the really competitive divisions until I was like 12, 13, 14. So um, when I was 12, like I was the first female to win, um, a USAT Kenya midget race, which the Kenya midgets had been around for a long time. Uh-huh. Like I think at that point, like maybe 20 years. Um, and so that was a really big deal. And what was kind of like really started, um, the further, like, uh, furthering my career, if you will. Yeah. So from there, um, When I was 13, I became the most female to have uh, USEC wins in a single season. Um, I started breaking a bunch of records, becoming the winningest female driver in USEC history. Um, The youngest female to ever win a sprint car race at 14. So I've been winning sprint car races since I was 14, which people who aren't familiar with sprint cars, um, they're some of the fastest race cars there is out there. I mean, aside from Formula One, but... And what's really amazing about sprint cars is their horsepower to weight ratio. So we have like just 900 plus horsepower and it's like a 1500 pound car. So imagine a 14 year old and I won my first ever sprint car start um, when I was 14. So since then I probably had like 11 or 12 sprint car wins both on pavement and on dirt. Um, But something that I am really proud of is my USAC championship that I won when I was 15 in 2011 Mm -hmm. and i was only the second female to do so um but not a lot of people say that they've won a USAC championship and so people who aren't familiar with the USAC champion or the USAC sanctioning body which is the united states auto club they used to sanction IndyCar before IndyCar was its Mm -hmm. own entity and um USAC is the sanctioning body that Mario Andretti and the Tony Bettenhausens and Al Unzer Jr., like they all, all right. came from USAC yeah. racing. So that's a pretty big deal to say that I was a USAC champion. Um, but also, um, as of recent, um, I'm the first female to podium in a USAC Silver Crown car, which mm. Silver Crown racing has been around for 50 plus years. No female's done it before me, and we're just on the brink of winning. Yeah. Um, so I've run up front essentially every pavement, silver crown race that they've had this past season. So, um, I'm really looking forward to next season. Cause I'm going to race all the silver crown races. And I know with the competitiveness that we've had this past year, I podium twice. Um, and it was at a track that I had never been to before too. I finished third at Winchester, which is one of the fastest tracks yeah,
2: <laughs> in yeah. the United
1: States. So, um, pretty wicked fast. Um, but really looking forward to what more I can accomplish. I don't wanna say I'm proud of what I've done so far because I'm not done yet.
0: (laughs) Well, you can be proud of what you've done even though you're not done yet. Yeah. Well, I was about to say, Taylor, I did that on purpose, you know, just so that the listener can hear like this woman really, really knows her stuff. She's really good. And she's breaking ceilings. And anytime you go first, there's always much more pressure on you. So when you're a woman who's now winning and winning championships that have never been won by a woman before, lots and lots of pressure on you. But now let's just uh, fast forward to 2015. You're a champion driver at this point, and you're telling some people, hey, we have some problems and it's not me, it's the car. And people are saying, yeah, but you don't really know what you're talking about because you're a woman. And I want you to really describe for us for just a few minutes like what that 2015 decision to step away from racing for a little bit was like. Uh, and specifically for the frustration, because I know there's somebody who's frustrated right now and who feels like they're not getting a fair hearing. And I want mm-hmm. them to learn from you a little bit as you describe that 2015 season and the big decision you made to step away for a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, just for a little bit of context, I'll try to keep this concise. <laughs> but um, in 2015, I had moved teams. Uh, race teams. Um, And so we had been struggling a little bit at the beginning to mid, like basically up until mid season. Um, And I kept saying, I was like, listen, like a lot of the tracks that we're going to, like, I know I've been fast at before, like one races or would set fast time. And like, I could barely qualify in the top 10 to some people they would think, oh, that's not that bad. But to me, I knew something wasn't right. And so I feel like I'm really good at articulating what the car is doing. Um, but again, I'm with a new team. Mm -hmm. So just trying to adjust to that new relationship. And it was almost like a, they didn't believe in me in general as a driver, but then B they didn't, um, take into consideration what I was telling them about the car. And so we weren't having the results that we were having. I was personally investing a lot of money into doing it at the time. Uh I was 19 years old and, um, was living in Indiana and was going to school there. And it just came to like basically a halt to where my family was like, look, like this isn't really working out. Um, it's costing a lot of monetary investment (laughs) as well as laborious investment. And I just feel like we're at this crossroads here. Like it's time to focus on your education. And so I transferred to universities, moved to Grand Rapids from Indianapolis to Grand Rapids. And, um, it can't come to find out a few months later, um, there was a male and I don't want to say like, I didn't really recognize this until I was in my gender economics class. My gender economics class at Grand Valley was great, by the way. So it anyone must have been it? because yeah. You, yeah, it's obvious yeah. it had
0: an impact on you.
1: Yeah. And so I didn't realize this until then. But when I started thinking about it, I was like, okay, was this a gender thing? Well, a few months later, they ended up putting a male, prominently known race car driver in the car that I had been driving. Um, And he came off the track and kept telling the car owner the same thing that I was saying. And come to find out there was an issue with the car that they didn't find until this, a male colleague, if you will.
0: Until a dude started saying there's a problem, right? With with a woman saying there's a problem, they're like, whatever. She doesn't know what she's talking about. When a dude says it, okay, maybe there's a problem
1: yeah and so I didn't know about this so that the car owner called my dad ended up apologizing so on and so forth never had the audacity to call me and say anything and it's like you know what like not that I don't I try not to harbor like ill will if you will Uh because I'm not that type of person because I believe everything happens for a reason but it's like that basically could have completely at the time ended my career right yeah and it did at the time because i didn't know if i was going to come back racing it wasn't until two to three years later that i did and so like them not taking into consideration what i was telling them and listening to me like basically put my motorsports career to a halt and so um that was a thing that i had to overcome for a few years because i really had never recognized anything as far as like really my having like gender conflicts, if you will, within motorsports up until that point. And then when I became more educated, obviously like in, uh, like enlightened to certain things throughout my university experiences and classes that I was taking, it was then to where it was almost like an aha moment. Like, okay, could this have been because of my gender? And so that's why I always felt like that extra pressure that I had, um, when going to the track and so on and so forth, because it was because of experiences like that. So I didn't have to encounter them, but things like that obviously only make you into a stronger person at the end of the day. Like that isn't something that's going to break me down because I know my intelligence level. I know my skill level. I know what I bring to the table, but, um, like when I came back two to three years later and I was just as competitive after taking that time off. Uh And like, I finished second, my second race back after being gone for three years. And it's like not to toot my own horn, but that's kind of unheard of. Like no one takes back to, like that no one skill jumps level. Back that
0: fast, right?
1: Yeah. And racing against guys that race like twenty to thirty times a year or a few times a week and like they're some of the most competitive mm-hmm. within the industry. And then to go out there and run like I was and what I have and really haven't been racing that much. Like I think that's something that I'm actually proud of in a way, even though I know that there's more that I can accomplish. But yeah. also I also it is a way of kind of proving the doubters wrong, right. like proving that experience that I had in 2015, like that they were wrong and like, they have to live with that. I yeah. don't.
0: Well, a lot of the greatest athletes on the planet accomplished what they did to prove people wrong, who said, you'll never make it earlier on in their sport. Um, but I, 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 was thinking while you were talking Surely this had to shake your confidence in your abilities as a driver for a little bit. Like you're trying to tell them it's the car. They're telling you, no, it's the driver. And you're frustrated enough that you step away, rightly so, for a while, a couple of years. So obviously you're on the backside of it now and you're being very successful as a race car driver. But can you describe getting back into the car after a couple year break? And how did you, how did you find the confidence in yourself to start racing again after that 2015 break?
1: Yeah. So when I had that time off in a way, I feel like it only worked to my benefit, if you will, because over that time, I realized how passionate I was about racing. um, And like, I wrote about it for me, like a way of kind of relinquishing Mm -hmm. my feelings I found is writing about it. And so I would write about it a lot, like throughout my college experience, like for my law school, personal statement and in ways that did make me a stronger person. Um, and it made me appreciate more the opportunities that I've had in the past. So when I did come back racing in 2019, um, it also made me a little bit more emotional. Like when I was, I think when I first fired off my sprint car again, like I think I probably like cried a little because
2: All right. no, no problems with
1: that. <laughs> yeah, because it just made me like more grateful for like the experiences that yeah. I had, like the opportunity that I had before me, and just to make sure that I capitalized on that, so I didn't put myself in a situation like what I had before. Yeah, and it also made me, even though I was already confident in what I was telling people and what I was articulating. Um, And as far as my feedback goes, like even now it made me more aware to where when I am telling somebody something, I'm like, listen, if they want to come back to me and say, oh, no, I don't think that's the case. I'll come back to them and say, no, I've experienced this before. And then I start to have to giving other encounters that I've had to prove my experience, which is something that I'm still going through now. So it's kind of like a never ending saga, if you will. And I don't expect it to ever stop. But I am always having to, like, prove my experience, prove my worth, sell myself. I mean, which is fine because I have the personality, like, I'll do it. But at the end of the day, there's so many obstacles that I have to overcome oh, that yeah. I shouldn't. But... Um, I always say one day I'm going to write a really great autobiography. Yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> one of these days they'll make a documentary or maybe even a major motion picture about you. I can't help but think there's some ladies that are listening right now, maybe even some guys that are really struggling with self-confidence because they've heard so long, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're talking about, that they have started to believe that about themselves. And I really mm-hmm. hope they're taking notes right now and listening to you because having the courage to step back into the car to get back behind the wheel and to go back at it again means you have to believe in yourself enough. Even after, you know, after the the new crew uh, realized it was the car and not the driver that that caused us some problems back in 2015. But yeah. now, Taylor, you're paving the way and I'm yeah. using kind of auto uh, motorsports puns here for other women, especially women in motorsports. So as one of the founders of the Women in Motorsports, you know, uh, associations that you're in right now, tell everybody why you get so passionate about this.
1: Yeah. So as you had mentioned, I am one of the founding members of Women in Motorsports North America, which is a group that was formalized by Lynn St. James and Beth Peretta. Um, In the fall of last year, it wasn't formally announced till spring of this year, but really it's an initiative and a community of professionals within motorsports to kind of promote, enhance, develop um, females that are currently within the industry, but also to bring outsiders into the industry as well um, to kind of show that there is a place for them within motorsports And also for me, it expanded my mindset because growing up, I was always like, Oh, I just want to be a driver. I just want to be a driver. And so when it came down to like, Oh, I have to go to college and kind of like pursue something else potentially mm-hmm. i didn't even think of like the other things that i could be within motorsports because i always wanted to be a driver right but i could have i like could be an engineer i could be a crew member yeah. like beth peretta i could be a team owner which eventually i think one day i would like to be All but right. it it also's expand like my Uh, thought process as well. Like there is so many other opportunities within motorsports for females and um, a lot of businesses and teams within racing are starting to recognize that. Um, And so, yeah, it's something that I have become really passionate about. And I think what's unique about it is because Lynn St. James always says females can't progress within the industry without the help of male allies. Uh And so there is a lot of males involved with WIMNA as we refer to it as the acronym. And so I think that's, what's really cool about it because there's so many males that we interact with in our monthly meetings and our committee member meetings that are just as passionate about furthering females within motorsports as the females are. And so it's cool to see that they recognize our worth and our value and how what that brings to the industry. And so um, I, I, it'll be really cool to see like how far we can go with that right. initiative. But um, also kind of like going back to when we talked about like the proportionality in females mm-hmm. within racing, I think something that is coming up with this as of now, like as more females are coming up through the industry is, and this is what's sad about it is, people want to pit females against each other. Like we're in competition with one another. So I guess you can't have your cake and eat it too. Uh But at the end of the day, like I just want to be known as just a race car driver. Like I don't want to be like signaled out as a female race car driver, even though that's how others might perceive me. Um, But I'm not incumbent, like on the track. Yeah, I am in competition with everybody, but not specifically just the other female that might be on the track, you know? So um I think that's all that's also something that I wanted to highlight too.
0: Well I want to point that out about the females in motorsports North America. You know what you're doing is really introducing more women and paving the way for more women to kind of follow the the path that you and a couple of other ladies have already laid out for them. But as long as there's still only a few women in a very male-dominated industry, even when you win, you're still going to be the woman who won instead of the driver who won. And what yeah. I just heard you say is you're working towards the day in motorsports where you're just known as the driver who won this race. And people mm-hmm. people don't need to point out the fact that you happen to be a woman at the same time that you won the race, um, Yeah. Which is, which is when you know the industry has finally started to embrace women in this industry like they probably should have when you started getting into it.
1: Yeah. And I do feel like it'll be a, a, a while until we get to that point, because like I had mentioned before, like we're still hearing like the first female to do this or yeah, the first female right. to do that. Yeah. And that's really just because there was no one like before right. me. And um, it's like in the USAC Silver Crown series, there was only been a few females to ever make a start within that series before mm-hmm. me. And when I started within the USAC divisions, like there were no females within that division. So I never thought that was even an option for me. And so I feel like by me, like I have the most starts for a female yeah. within that division. And that's only, uh-huh. I feel like that's created more visibility for younger females to say, you know what, I can race the silver crown series too, or the right. silver crown cars too, because taylor does it and i think that has opened the doors for there's been a few more females after me that have started racing that division and i i don't want to say it's because of me but i mean before me let's just
0: be honest it's because (laughs) of you and a few other women like let's just say it.
1: yeah i mean yeah you said it
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right i'll say it sure you don't have to i will yeah um I want to kind of bring the interview to a close by mentioning something that you said already during this interview. If there was a point where your sister and brother just didn't have what it takes because of all that it requires of you to be successful on the racetrack. And I know that there are people doesn't matter what industry that they're in. They're listening to this episode right now and they're facing some really big challenges and what they deep in their mind, they know is in order for me to make it to the next level, like you had to do as a race car driver, I'm going to have to push myself. And they're wondering, do I have what it takes to push myself to the next level, not Am I talented enough? But do I just have the drive and the discipline and the motivation to give what it's going to take from me to make it to the next level? So can can you just kind of speak to somebody who's right on the edge and they're not far away from making the next level and really accomplishing their goals or their dreams, but they're asking themselves, I don't know if I have what it takes. What would you say to somebody? Doesn't matter if it's a guy or a gal, Taylor.
1: Yeah, so I would just say, like, recognize, like, your passion, like, if that's what you're passionate about, there is going to be times where you're going to doubt myself, like there probably there is times that I have done it, or sometimes maybe still do, because of certain experiences or certain encounters that I have. But I think what I come back to is, I know what my ability is. And I know what this is what my passion is. And so I kind of say, if the answer no is gonna kill you, like you're in the wrong industry. And so, <laughs> okay. especially within motorsports, especially within the legal worlds. Um, and so like motorsports is what I'm passionate about. And I know that at the end of the day, I think my accolades can speak for itself, but if other people wanna say otherwise or think otherwise, like that's on them. Yeah. So I think if you're pursuing your passion, like you will do anything within your power and within reason to continue to pursue that. Yeah. And so there is going to be times where you are going to doubt yourself and question yourself. Like, should I still be doing this? Like, what am I trying to get out of it? Like I still do this because there's so many opportunities like in the world for people to pursue. But I think if it's something that like really sets your soul on fire, like you'll find a way to make it work. And I always just say, be innovative. Like, If I'm trying to seek funding for sponsorship to keep me on the track, like I always just try to, I think back to my management class, like think outside the box. And, um, I think like when you are passionate about things, like you kind of, um, come back to that and like, do what you can to make it work.
0: I love your language. You just used the term set your soul on fire. And I've got these motorsports puns all day long, Taylor, but (laughs) obviously, you're a passion driven woman. And I really think there's a guy or gal who's listening to you right now. And they're right at the edge of the next level and really accomplishing their goals or their dreams. And they're listening to you. And now they're starting to ask a different question. Before this interview, maybe they were asking, Do I have what it takes? And now they're starting to realize, I think I do have what it takes. Am I willing to give what it takes in order to reach that goal? And that is a whole different question than do I have what it takes? If you got what it takes, you still have to ask yourself the question, are you willing to give it? And if you're willing to give it, then the the sky's the limit, right?
1: Yeah. And I wrote about this in my law school personal statement. I kind of have this quote that I go by and I say, like, life is like accounting. Like in accounting, for every debit, there's a credit. Like in life, Uh for every opportunity, there's going to be a sacrifice or like an opportunity cost for that. And so it's really just how far are you willing to go? But I think that goes into question, like, if how truly passionate you are about it. Like, I have given up so much throughout my childhood, throughout my teenage years, throughout uh, my college years. And even now, like, I'm sacrificing a lot to continue to pursue motorsports. Yeah. But, at the end of the day, like I know it's worth it and I know what I'm able to accomplish. And I know that what I'm doing is going, has made a difference maybe like is, or is going to make a difference in the long term. And if I had to do it all over again, like I do the same thing 10 times over.
0: Well, there you go. You can either sit in your living room on the couch with the remote control in your hand, watching TV and complaining about the opportunities that you never got, or you can do what Taylor's doing you can make the sacrifice. And she just described it vividly for you. Every big opportunity carries sacrifice with it. But you make that sacrifice and you just might be living the dreams that you have for yourself. It's just not going to come easy. No great thing ever comes easy. And if it came easy, it's just not that great, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And like all the sacrifice, like I don't get a lot of sleep. Like I may have mentioned before sleeping on airplanes. Um, But I know at the end of the day, it's pursuing my passion but it's gonna take a lot of work and it's gonna take, you're gonna question yourself days. But I think at the end of the day, like it will pay off at least I hope so it will for me or it has Um, and just continue pushing forward.
0: You, Taylor, you are a living example. One of my favorite movie quotes of all times comes from the movie, a league of their own women playing the male sport of baseball. And towards the end of the movie, when this superstar baseball player woman is leaving to go back home, she just says to her coach, it's too hard. And the favorite quote I have is when Tom Hanks, that coach looks at her and he says, of course it's hard. That's what makes this sport great. And I really think people need to hear from you today, like the greatness lies in just giving it a little bit more and making the sacrifice. And then one day standing on the podium and really accomplishing your dreams. But it's never going to happen with a remote control in your hand, watching TV in the living room, right?
1: No, but even if you like I, oh, like I said, master of overlapping, like even if you are watching TV, like I am on my laptop, like <laughs> sending people LinkedIn messages okay. or sending emails like, I mean, maybe she's not finding, even she's finding sponsors
0: even when yeah. she's on the couch, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, you got to you got to do what you got. I don't have the time to watch a lot of TV. But Good if people you. are people do have the time to do that. Like it's just the master of overlapping yeah. to get to where you want to go.
0: Well, there are some people that are not familiar with motorsports. They've heard this interview today and they're like, man, I got to know more about Taylor. So where do they go to find more information out about you, about your crew, about the races that are coming up this next season?
1: Yeah. So, um, you can check out my website, TaylorFerns.com or my social channels, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, um, and my YouTube channel, um, there are majority all at Taylor Ferns. Um, So yeah, check them out, learn a little bit more about me. And I hope people were able to take something away from our conversation today, Jeff.
0: Yeah. For those of you who are driving, her name is Taylor Ferns, T-A-Y-L-O-R Ferns, F-E-R-N-S. But for those of you who are watching this, we'll put the links to her website and her social media channels right there in the notes to this episode. Taylor, thank you for being part of this episode. Thanks for helping people to face their goals with passion and with energy.
1: Yeah, no problem, thank you. I enjoyed our conversation and thanks for all that you're doing.
0: Yeah, Taylor made a comment that's gonna stick with me all week long. She really said, it's not so much whether or not you have the abilities to make it to the next level. The bigger question is, are you willing to give what it takes to make it to the next level? And for those of you that have been out there and you've been struggling and you've been grinding and you're trying to make it to the next level, but you're just not sure you've got what it takes. Well, Taylor gave a great description of that in this episode. She described what it looks like to just simply get behind the wheel and let it all hang out and give it your best and see how you end up. And by the way, you're never gonna make it to the top by sitting on the couch and watching TV. You're gonna have to get up and get out there and give it your all. If you're actually gonna make those dreams, see those goals come true. I hope you're really encouraged. I hope you were inspired by Taylor. In fact, I hope you'll follow her on social media. I hope you'll go check out her website. And if you found our podcast for the first time, I hope you'll follow us on social media. Why don't you go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on all of the prominent social media channels as well. You can find us pretty much everywhere at at Unbeatable Podcast, or you can check us out online at unbeatablearmy.com. We know that the days get hard, that you're grinding it out, and that you're really struggling. And some days you just need some motivation. Some days you just need a little pep talk. And so I created this motivational video. It is my top lessons that i learned when facing some of the most difficult training in the army when i went through ranger school and i put this video together to motivate you to face adversity and to handle your challenges and if you want this video it is free all you got to do to get it is go to unbeatablearmy.com thank you for checking out taylor ferns in this episode of unbeatable and i'll see you right back here next week